It's Wednesday, March 16th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Inflation is keeping the prices of goods high, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine is causing oil and gas prices to rise. But your electric bill is also soaring. Natural gas prices are being affected by the Ukraine crisis and raising the cost for utilities to produce electricity. As a result, customers are seeing increases of up to 20%. Catherine Blunt, energy reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for why your electric bill is going up. Next, rising crime has been on everyone's mind lately, and in California, the conversation over criminal justice reform and crime policies will play out over the next state attorney general race. And also, a pair of efforts aimed at recalling two progressive district attorneys in L.A. and San Francisco. The crime issue will also be made a centerpiece for the midterm elections nationally. Jeremy White, writer for the California Playbook at Politico, joins us for more. Finally, the workplace has gone through drastic changes as a result of the pandemic, and even attitudes about work have changed. With more job openings than people looking for work, employees feel like they have all the power. But how long can that last? Tess Viglin, host of the new Wall Street Journal podcast, As We Work, joins us to talk about the changing dynamics of the workplace. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Domestic prices are directly correlated with European prices, but they are linked because it is a global market. So that's what we're seeing. And as you said, utilities use natural gas to generate power. And if the cost of that fuel supply goes up, so is the cost of producing it. Joining us now is Catherine Blunt energy reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Well, we've all seen what's going on with gas prices in the U.S. Uh, We've seen oil, the cost of a barrel of oil also go up. So if you're one of those persons, uh, one of those people that might have an electric car, you might be thinking, hey, you know, at least on the upside of this thing, well, you should be ready for your electric bill to start going up. They've already been increasing. And a lot of this has to do with what's happening in Ukraine and Russia and all, but more specifically, the surging prices of natural gas. So for the utilities, they use a lot of natural gas to help make the electricity. And uh, obviously their costs go up. So, so do yours. So Catherine, walk us through some of this. What are we seeing? So this run up in uh, natural gas prices, that began going into winter. And there's a few reasons for that. For one, I mean, there's been a there's been a shortage in Europe. Europe had a really rough year when it comes to, I mean, just issues with home heating and the weather and power generation. And several years ago in the U.S., we began to build up the capabilities export some of our natural gas to Europe. So we started to see more natural gas go abroad to help fill in some of those supply gaps. And of course, during the winter, you do see a run up in demand as more people need natural gas to heat their homes. And domestic production has been relatively flat because it hasn't been especially lucrative for shale drillers in the last several years for a number of different reasons. So all of these things have coalesced to create a higher price environment for natural gas and then take into consideration what is happening continually in Europe in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Europe is really going to be working to cut its reliance on Russia for natural gas supplies in the coming months, and that is expected to keep global prices elevated. Domestic prices are directly correlated with European prices, but they are linked because it is a global market. So that's what we're seeing. And as you said, utilities use natural gas to generate power. And if the cost of that fuel supply goes up, so is the cost of producing it. How is the domestic production of natural gas in the United States? How, how much do we make? How much do we import? 
we produce quite a bit, but we haven't been producing as much lately as we as we have in recent years. I mean, several years ago, when you think about the kind of the boom in, in Texas and some other regions that proved really um, highly productive regions, the domestic producers really kind of flooded the market for a while and really weren't able to generate the kind of returns they promised shareholders. So we have seen that production trail off and some reticence by investors to see them ramp back up again, yeah. given what happened. But, you know, we, we also import a lot as well. So that's the state of affairs there. So for some of these utilities to raise the rates, they do need regulatory approval. But we've seen power bills increase by about 20 percent, 25 percent in some cases. So how's that translating to customers? So when you think about the you know, domestic natural gas production, as we were discussing, that really helped keep natural gas prices low in, throughout the country for a long time. And you begin to see that change. Natural gas prices went up markedly last year for all the reasons that we're discussing. And it is, it is very standard for utilities to pass through the cost of either producing power or buying power on the wholesale market to customers. And so... We've essentially seen you know, the price of natural gas roughly double in the last year. So that means that those costs have roughly doubled as well. And in different parts of the country, the timeline for regulatory approval for that pass-through kind of varies, but the upshot is all the same. It gets passed through to, to customer bills. Yeah. So the question is, how long do natural gas prices remain elevated? A lot of people expect that the essentially that the era of, of low gas prices is over certainly for the time being in the foreseeable future. And so that means it's going to be reflected in your bills by as much as a, you know, a 25% increases in some places. And that's likely to remain the case for some time. And of course, we are seeing higher inflation throughout you know, multiple different categories of consumer goods and spending. So it comes at a bad time. Somebody in upstate New York, I think his bill, he said he never paid more than 500 a month for gas and electricity. And his last bill for last month was just shy of $1,000. I mean, so a lot of people's bills are raising by, by twice as much, really. Yeah. And so the one thing to, to keep in mind is that we are coming out of winter. So the portion of your utility bill dedicated to heating your home with natural gas is going to go down. But to the extent you see that continually reflected in electricity prices because of the fact that it costs more to produce or purchase electricity, that's going to remain, that's going to remain high. Catherine Blunt. Energy reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Those are people that are, you know, obviously are engaging very heavily, uh, very uh, extensive levels of violence and bringing them to accountability and taking them off the streets is really important. Joining us now is Jeremy White, writer for the California Playbook for Politico. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Glad to be here. Well, crime in California has become a huge issue. We saw the U.S. murder rates go up in 2020 in California. Homicides went up as well a few months back. I mean, it was making international news, all of these kind of flash mob style thefts of uh, retail shops. And so uh, crime and, and, and all this stuff is, is on the minds of Californians and, and voters. And what we're seeing coming up is a few different things. So there's going to be a re-election bid for the Attorney General Rob Bonta in California. And also we're seeing some recall efforts against the district attorneys in San Francisco and Los Angeles. And, you know, we're just seeing uh, maybe a lot of people are having second thoughts about voting these people in and, and policies that they're implementing. So, Jeremy, tell us a little bit more about it. So, as you noted, two of the progressive prosecutors who were elected in the last few years really representing this 
kind of new wave of criminal justice reformers. Chess Boudin in San Francisco and George Gascon in Los Angeles are both facing recall attempts. The one targeting the San Francisco district attorney, Chess Boudin, is going to go before voters in June. It's not clear that the one targeting the Los Angeles district attorney, George Gascon, will necessarily go before voters. But all the same, I think the amount of attention around it, some of the money that's gone into it, really captures the extent to which for both of these prosecutors, despite getting elected and winning support of the majority of voters, they are facing some real pushback over uh, their agenda and sort of what it means for, for charging and sentencing decisions. The attorney general, Rob Bonta, meanwhile, is going to be on the ballot in November running for his first full term since he was appointed to the position by the governor, Gavin Newsom. And, you know, Rob Bonta was really chosen in large part because he similarly represented that trend towards a version of law and order that's less based on more punitive sentences and incarceration and and more seeking a, a different direction. And so I think that sort of agenda, while it has been very much embraced by the California voters consistently for the last several years, that commitment is going to be tested uh, when Rob Bonta is on the ballot this year. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. California voters have been uh, voting for this stuff, but it seems like the pressure is on the other side of things now. Uh, Obviously, nobody wants crime and and it's becoming a, a central issue. We're seeing it kind of play out nationally, even. Republicans are kind of making this a, a Democrat thing. Uh, we've seen mm. President Biden, even in his State of the Union address, say, you know, we shouldn't be defunding the police. Let's fund the police. That was the thing that Democrats were getting hit on. And they don't have very good answers for a lot of the, the pushback that they're, they're, they're getting on this. I think the message you are hearing from California Democrats who have supported, you know, lesser sentences and less incarceration whether that's prosecutors, mayors, the governor himself, is we are not going back to the sort of lock them up past, but at the same time, a real effort to say we understand that people are concerned about crime. We're going to do something about it, whether that's the governor pledging to crack down on organized retail theft. Congresswoman Karen Bass is running for mayor of L.A., calling for more police officers or even George Gascon, the progressive district attorney in L.A., Uh, sort of under political pressure, walking back somewhat some of his directives affecting things like charging juveniles as adults. And so I don't think I would say that elected Democrats in California are are ready to sort of abandon the direction they've been going in and, and go back to incarcerating a lot more people. But I think there is a clear acknowledgement that crime is on the minds of voters and that they need to show that they are still attentive to concerns about public safety, even as they retain their commitment to sort of rethinking the way that we that we go about it. Yeah, you know, it's a difficult situation. Advocates would say that people want to target the root causes of crime, poverty, mental illness. But with a lot of stuff, it's a lot more complicated, right? Uh, you know, when you're um, taking away certain uh, sentencing enhancements for, you know, let's say murderers or somebody that really commits these pretty heinous crimes, that doesn't look so well. Retail thefts, right? The penalties are so thin you know, anybody can do something and really not have a worry about, you know, facing a long, long uh, a sentence or anything like that. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these uh, situations become very complicated. And you're right, it's going to be interesting to see how these recalls go and, and the attorney general reelection bid will go to see if some of these messages are changed. I think polls have shown, public opinion polls 
have shown that voters are more concerned about crime. They see the governor, Gavin Newsom, as not doing a very good job on it. A poll even showed that the same share of voters who approved a measure back in 2014 to reduce property crime penalties would now be willing to take another look, maybe tighten that up some. But I think the best poll of where voters stand on this stuff is a statewide election for the top law enforcement officer in the state, which is what the attorney general is. And so you are really going to hear sort of the perspective from the incumbent of public safety is important, but we're not going back to the way things were versus some of the more traditional prosecutors he'll be facing carrying the message of, you know, we've tried the reform thing. It resulted in chaos. We need to get tough again. Jeremy White, writer for the California Playbook at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. There's almost nothing about our workplaces and our work lives that did not change over the last two years. So that's we're delving deep into all kinds of issues yeah. surrounding that. Joining us now is Tess Vigland, host and senior producer for The Wall Street Journal's new podcast, As We Work. Thanks for joining us, Tess. Delighted to be here, Oscar. Thank you. Well, the new podcast, uh, I, I'm really enjoying it right now. I've uh, had the pleasure of having a lot of your guests and fellow Wall Street Journal uh, journalists there on my <laughs> podcast to talk about all this stuff. The pandemic came and disrupted all our lives in, in a number of different ways, especially with the way we work, our attitudes towards work. And it's been one of the yeah. most interesting things that I have just been covering as part of my podcast. So uh, the new podcast, As We Work, tell us a little bit about it overall, and then we'll get into uh, some of the episodes because there's two episodes out so far. So just give us an overview of what we can expect on the podcast. So it's really kind of what you've just been talking about, which is that there has been this sea change in not just how we work, but even how we feel about work itself, right? I mean, you have millions of people who basically up and left their jobs over the last year, year and a half. The quits rate reached a record. And that has to tell you something about what the pandemic did to really prompt people to take another look at their lives and the role that work was playing in it. And so that's really our main focus question for the podcast is how has the role of work changed in our lives? And how has that changed in the workplace? How has it changed between us and our colleagues, between us and our bosses? There's almost nothing about our workplaces and our work lives that did not change over the last two years. So that's we're delving deep into all kinds of issues yeah. surrounding that. Getting into uh, the first two episodes that have been out so far, the, the first episode really deals with kind of this overall changes at work. And one of the things you talked about was this power dynamic. You know, there's countless articles that say the workers have all the power right now. That's why they're quitting. That's yeah. why they're, they're demanding remote work, all this stuff. The question is, how long will that last, though? Because maybe this is a sea change in attitudes, but will that last forever? I think that is the key question that everyone is looking at right now, both employees and employers and, you know, governments that set policies. <laughs> we are in completely uncharted territory here. And so right now, yes, workers are completely feeling their oats. They saved some money, perhaps, over the span of the pandemic by not commuting, not having lunches, you know, to go out. They perhaps were able to 
save some of the, the stimulus money. And so you have that aspect of it. And then, you know, as you said, people really taking a look at their life and their work and where those two intersect. And so with the workers feeling their oats, they're feeling like they have more options now. It's a tight job market. There are more jobs than people to fill them. But if the economy turns around and starts doing not quite as well and employers start having, you know, the the market to themselves, then we possibly could see a change. So the really, as you said, the really big question is how long this is going to last. How long will workers be feeling more powerful? How long will the economy allow them to do so? And at some point, how long will we have the memories of the pandemic with us? Ultimately, after trauma, things do start to subside. So will we start thinking back to the olden days of two years ago when <laughs> we just did everything that our employers told us to? So yeah, it's a, it's an open question. I think it's yeah. going to be a fascinating thing to follow. I agree, definitely. The second episode focused on salary transparency and how the pay for yeah. performance model is is a little more of a myth going on right now. Everything has changed. And the question I had based off of that was, Pay transparency does seem like a really good notion. Let's know what our colleagues are being paid so we all are feel appreciated, I guess. That's part of the episode, too, you know, how closely we associate ourselves with our salary and feel good about that right. stuff. But it could also have the potential to you know make others feel bad that they don't make <laughs> yep. as much. And, and my question is, is that something that's going to cause an employer to all of a sudden bump everybody's pay up. I don't think that would happen. You know, so it, it's it's a difficult, uh, another another difficult thing to tackle there in the workplace. It is, absolutely. And this is something that I think a lot of employers are struggling with right now, in part because there are several cities and states that are mandating some form of pay transparency. In New York, in May, employers there were, are going to have to give a full range of salaries and job listings. And so, yes, for one thing, this is not a subject that, in general, Americans talk about, right? We don't talk about money at all. Right, and we exactly. certainly don't share what we're paid. The, the only time I remember talking about money was back, you know, in the late 2000s before the housing crash and everybody talked about what their house is worth. But beyond that, we just, this is like a verboten topic. But there is a generation coming up, Gen Z millennials, who have a bit of a different notion about this. Some of them are literally going on social media and saying, this is what I make. I want you to know this for either if you want my job after I leave it, or B, like if you work with me, I want you to know what this is so that there is some equity involved, so that people of color can have some measure of equality so that women can have some measure of equality. So yes, it's something that a lot of people don't want to happen because I don't know. Do you want to tell me what you make, Oscar? <laughs> I, I do not. I heard you okay. floating that question around throughout the podcast. And, and you know, that's right I, away too. I, don't I was like, I don't want to do it. Either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? there's so, so, you know, we'll see if that becomes a permanent change or not. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to imagine. There's so much going on right now. As We Work is the new podcast from the Wall Street Journal about the changing dynamics of the workplace. Tess Viglin, host and senior producer for the podcast As We Work. Thank you very much for joining us. And it drops every Tuesday, so everybody can check it out. Terrific. Thanks so much, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.